Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Well, 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 it's uh, it's just two sleeps until footy returns to the MCG for the first time in nearly a year, guys. And just two sleeps until round one of the AFL season kicks off. We've got a massive show ahead. I'm your host, Matt Walsh, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Jake Michaels, who's been uh, working furiously over the last week to get uh, ESPN.com.au in tip-top shape ahead of the first bounce on Thursday night. Jake, how are you going? Uh, I'm a bit tired, but the the thought of seeing fans back at the MCG is getting me through it. I cannot wait. Uh, really excited. I know we say we're excited all the time. But I am generally excited to see uh, to see round one kick off, fans back at the G, and just it's just going to be great. Really exciting. Without sounding too pro Victorian, there's just something about uh, making the pilgrimage to the MCG, and it, and it hasn't happened for a long time. Christian Jolly, I'm sure you've missed it even in a work capacity. Uh, welcome to the show for this week. Yeah, I have. I've uh, I was at the G round one last year when there was no one there, which was a very eerie feeling. Um, don't think it was on my bucket list to begin with, but something I can sort of tick off to say that I've been at a official AFL footy game with no crowd. But yeah, we'd be uh, much more exciting with the atmosphere in the stands, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, half capacity for round one, uh, and they're potentially going to look to bump that up going forward, which will be exciting because I think there are a few blockbuster matches in the early rounds. Hey guys, we haven't kicked off this little segment officially this year, but I'm going to put this forward as something I noticed throughout the week because I've watched the Amazon doco, the Making Their Mark series. You guys, have you guys seen it yet? Uh, yet uh, I have not. Yeah, okay. Well, this, this was a little interesting thing. And Jake, you'll remember this day because this is when everything sort of unraveled for the entire competition and, and other sports, including the Formula Ones. But Captain's Day 2020, there was uh, a few moments that they obviously captured for, for the doco at, on that day. And if you remember back to Captain's Day in 2020, coronavirus was the talk of the town, right? Uh, and, and you had your little moment with Scott Pendlebury where you fist bumped him and then he felt sick and then you felt sick because uh, you went to an F1. It was kind of a bit of a weird... Uh, yeah. Everything kind of unraveled quickly, right? I do remember that, yes. <laughs> and we thought you'd given him COVID. I thought he'd given, given it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there was a scene where uh, our good friend Nadine, who works for the AFL, uh, she basically liaises with uh, the media. Um, she was lecturing the players or the captains before they went out to talk to the press and was basically telling them what to say about coronavirus. And she said, we've got two things from the AFL. Uh, you're not worried about coronavirus. Uh, the AFL season is going to go. You, you don't mind playing in front of fans. And they were fed these lines. And, Jake, I remember when I saw that scene, all I can remember is um, – then asking the captains these questions, sort of, you know, are you worried about it? You know, have you thought about playing in front of it? And they all gave pretty similar answers. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show um, GZAFL media in terms of getting something out of players far out it's contrived, isn't it? Uh, it is. And I don't think that the coronavirus situation is the only thing where they've probably been told what to say. No, uh, don't, don't, I don't, doubt, don't doubt that for a second. Yeah. But it is crazy to think it was 12 months ago. I do remember it. It feels like yesterday. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's amazing how much we've been through since then. Mm. Um, but I tell you, while we're on the, while we're on the something you, you noticed this week and, and the, the theme of Captain's Day, we were just at Captain's Day for 2021. <laughs> and um, we were about to leave and they had the Premiership Cup there and they had all the captains. They did the photos and all the interviews and all that sort of stuff. And we were packing up and we we're about to leave and half the captains and most of the media had left. And I noticed it was at Marvel Stadium and the 
Premiership Cup was just laying on the turf like it was discarded trash or something. And I thought I could pick this up and walk out of here with it under my arm and no one's even going to notice. It was you, you said to me, how, you how pointed it, it out and you were like, should I pick it up? And I'm like, no. <laughs> but you, you honestly could have. It was it was next to like one of those like little fake barriers that they have to protect the turf. And my bag was actually at the next barrier, at the next sort of pole. Um, and so my bag was leaning up against it. And I sort of looked over it and the premiership cups there kind of on an angle because the turf and the grass had met and it was sort of, you know, slightly sort of tipped over a bit. And I'm just like, gee, that's a bit unceremonious, isn't it? <laughs> um, Christian, I know it's, uh, we haven't kicked off this segment, but is there anything you've noticed throughout the week that you'd like to put forward uh, as a nomination? If not, we can get straight into oh, the agenda. I mean, just talking about crowds, you know, being at the footy, I know on um, we had a bit of a late uh, fixture change in AFLW on the weekend. Brisbane obviously couldn't mm. play up in Queensland, um, so they played down at Witten Oval. And it was a lockout, but you could just see people with Brisbane scarves, or they played Collingwood, Brisbane Collingwood scarves, standing outside the ground around the fence. And I was just thinking, well, the game was only moved, you know, 12 hours before it started, sort of. It was officially announced that they were they were playing down there. And just, yeah, just the, um, I suppose, the, the passion that we see from supporters, even at AFLW, to sort of line up on Footscray Road outside the fence with scarves on, cheering the women on, it's... Uh, yeah, you, you just um, you appreciate footy and the fans that we do have and you, you see them even when they're locked out, they're going along to barrack for their team. Melburnians just want to be back at the footy um, and, and they've shown that throughout the AFLW. They've shown that throughout the Amy series and I'm sure that they'll show that throughout the AFL, uh, the early rounds especially because there are some big games, as we said. Um, guys, let's get straight into the agenda. We do have a big, uh, uh, big full-on episode, really. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's get straight into it. Um, We've been refreshing Twitter frantically in the lead up to this podcast because we are almost certain that the AFL is going to introduce a concussion sub of some form, guys, which um, it would be very AFL of them to introduce a rule, you know, what, less than 72 hours before uh, the first bounce for round one. Um, basically, what it, what it seems like it's going to be is that, you know, the AFL wanting to protect the head, and we know that there's a bit of pressure on the AFL coming from past players who have, um, you know, realised side effects from head knocks you know, in years gone by and, and having gone back out. And, Jake, I know that you, you've talked with Jude Bolton, who used to do or still does some stuff with ESPN, uh, about his head knocks that he took throughout his career. So it seems like they're going to bring in a rule where um, clubs are going to take it more seriously and they're going to be able to sub someone off who's had a concussion uh, and then sub someone on to replace that player because they want clubs to be, uh, I guess, more receptive to the fact that, you know, serious brain injuries can occur. What do you make of the rule? First, Christian, I might go to you. What do you first make of the rule? You've been watching footy for longer than both Jake and I. Um, I think the rule's fine. Again, it's it's the application of the rule now, and that's probably what we're talking about with the refresh of Twitter. We sort of I think we've been conditioned to the last 24, 48 hours that there will be a sub player coming in. Yeah. Um, it's just whether that's a concussion sub or a medical sub and how it's, um, you know, to, you know, how, where the boundaries are drawn for who the sub player is. But to me, it just sort of shows probably a little bit in, you know, the AFL in their convictions of their setting down the rules. They, they obviously can't want to come out and, you know, nice and simply introduce a concussion sub. Someone gets concussed, fails the test, goes off, you can bring someone on. Now when the club, when the coaches got wind of it, they've asked for, you know, injury subs and what about this and what about that? It sort of seems to me like, you know, it's the AFL needs to be strong in their conviction. Say, no, this is the rule. It's for concussion subs. We're doing it for one year and, you know, we'll, we'll monitor it and move on. But to have two or three days of, again, you know, we're in the media, so we probably don't help. But the media speculation of, you know, where this rule could go and, you know, what it could become, it just seems like... 
the coaches have sort of driven this rule from where it was where it started to where it might end up being announced to you know what the rule is so i'll be interested to see what it is but again go back to the original point it makes sense to have a concussion sub i would have thought that every sport i think around the world's doing it. i think we just saw one in the uh in the soccer today uh nfl have it with a you know their official blue tent where it's independent doctors um doing the concussion review so i think yeah definitely um yeah we need to bring in something to protect the head jake do you like it? Where do you draw the line? I mean, would you prefer an injury sub or, or would you prefer to keep it as a concussion sub? Where do you sit? I'm not I'm not sort of convinced one way or the other. And I just to back to what, what Kristen just said, and it's what everyone's saying is we need to protect the head. Absolutely we do. But I don't see how introducing a concussion sub is actually going to reduce concussions. It's not. We're still going to have concussions. I so I don't it's not as if we're going to have this sub and all of a sudden there isn't concussions anymore. By all means, we need to do things to reduce concussions, but introducing a concussion sub is not one of them. Yeah, it's a good point you make up. They're not prevent. It's not a preventative measure, but it is one that where in the past um, players have taken head knocks and perhaps early in a game, uh, and you know, one way or another, coaches or the medical staff they've just sort of they've they've squeezed an extra quarter out of them, or they've. They've just said, you know, one more quarter. Do you feel okay? You know, how many fingers? You know, they've done the tests and all that. Yeah, and and maybe they've passed them when in, in previous when where sorry when if there was a concussion sub on offer, they might not have passed. And I know that it's, you know, it's, it's probably an unconscious thing that they might be doing. But obviously, player welfare is 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 the name of the game with with concussion. I think this is a good step forward to ensure that players are getting the best treatment from the moment they have a head knock. Uh, and, and they can get looked at and they say, no, nah, we're putting you on ice. Someone else can go out there. You'll then have your 12 days, the mandated 12 days off. Uh, and, and, and hopefully that helps. I mean, I know it's a contact sport, but surely anything that can be done to potentially help the situation regarding concussion and, and potential CTE diagnosis down the track is a good thing. Like anything, how are the coaches and how, mm. how are clubs going to adjust and manipulate is probably not the right word, but, Find benefit in the rule. Mm. Uh, and again, it's hard. We don't want to speculate because we don't know what it's going to be as at the time of recording. But you feel like with anything, there will be ways for the clubs to, to mm. kind of get around this and, and find clever ways to, for it to benefit. Yeah, I think that the automatic 12-day, um, if, you, if you're concussed, I think that's a pretty big deterrent. So if you pull someone off, uh, I think you then exp- expand the rule to say, if, you, if you're off, you're not playing next week. So, um, you know, if you sorry, if someone else is subbed in, the player who got subbed out isn't playing next week. And I think that's a pretty fair deterrent for most clubs and most coaches. But as you say, far, far out, who knows? Um, coaches like to, to sort of, you know, like you say, bend the rules, squeeze the rules, look for loopholes, that sort of stuff. Um, we, we won't know. And maybe you guys listening at home do know now, uh, and that would be just our luck that it's been announced uh, while we're recording this podcast. But Christian, surely champion data is pretty eager to, to find out one yeah. way or the other. Uh, yeah, it makes a pretty big difference to us, whether there's 44 players or 46 players or what's going on. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind a personal phone call myself to know when it happens, but I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. So we'll uh, we'll be reactive as always. Yeah, you on the speed dial. Well, I think he's still drafting uh, the the lettering of the of the law because Clarko is probably going to look over it pretty closely. <laughs> all right, uh, let's move on. Uh, time to lay it out all lay it all out on the line, guys. Uh, we did this last year, or we did this every year, really. Um, but our season predictions heading into round one. Uh, what I'm going to get for you guys, and we can kind of go through these quickly, or you can explain them, or whatever you want to do. Um, but premiers and runner up, I want each of those from you. I want your wooden spoon. 
I want your Brownlow winner, your Coleman medal winner, your Rising Star, your biggest surprise packet, whether that's a riser or a slider, surprise me. Um, and then finally, uh, the coach under the most pressure. And then after that, we'll do our big, bold calls for the year, which I, I know that people at home enjoy listening to because uh, some of the bold calls have been not that bold in recent years, not looking at anyone in particular. We've a, but we've had a pretty good strike rate, I reckon. We were talking about... Probably because they're not bold. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> but Neil's Mason Cox, Mason Cox one was pretty good. Um, Took it off, yeah. Last week. Um, all right, where are we starting? Premier? Yeah, you're, 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 you can start with you. Who's your Premier and your runner-up? Um, it's hard to pick a runner-up, but I'm going to go Geelong as a premier. I think the Cats, we obviously they, you know, had the full-time whistle gone or siren gone at halftime. They would have won. They were the best team for that first half, and they fell away. Um, they came super close. Three really good inclusions. I think, I think they're going to be better this year. So I, I like the Cats to win it. Um, and I think Brisbane. I think Brisbane sort of. There was a lot of extra pressure last year with the Lions in the grand final, um, having that that not so much easier, but the the fact they're playing all these all these finals um, at the Gabba. I think now that pressure's sort of taken away a bit. They've had another year in their younger players to experience what it's like to play big finals, and mm. I think they'll be better for the run. Fair enough, Christian. Your premier and runner-up. Yeah. So. Um... Jake's basically summed up my premier right there, Brisbane. Um, they haven't lost anything from what they had the previous two years. I feel like they're building into something. Um, all they've really done is added Joe Danaher to the mix this year. I mean, you know, Stefan Martin goes out, Joe Danaher comes in. There's probably not too many other changes, um, major changes for him. So still have them up there. How can you um, rule out Richmond being in a grand final, though? So they're my runner-up at the moment. But again, probably interchangeable. I think I think it'd be a good grand final between those two. So... Uh, yeah, as I said, I, I sort of said after the 2019 season, I, I made big calls on Brisbane, sort of thought they'd, they'd dominate 2020, which they did quite well. Obviously, it was a different sort of season. But again, I just feel like Brisbane's just one of those teams that's primed and yeah, ready to re- really take a big step. Yeah, and fair enough. I think yeah, we had our predictions go out live on ESPN.com.au, Jake. And I had the same as you. I think I had Geelong winning the Premiership just because they've added, um, you know, win now mentality. The players that they've got in are just... But they've got to win. Um, I think the list well, we that they have We keep talking about their, their premiership windows. The last chance. Like they, it's they, just, they keep opening the window. They keep extending it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, look, is it last chance? Maybe it's, you know, they've got another year next year with the players that they've added, but uh, we'll see. And I did have Brisbane as my runner-up, but I'm, I'm going to go a different direction now on the podcast. I've decided just midway through this. That I think well, hang I'm on go, a minute. I'm going to go, <laughs> go Richmond as my runner-up, and I think that Christian kind of sort of said it. it it's you can't You can't count them out. Um, from making a grand final at this point. They just haven't done enough wrong. And I think the Lions, I don't know, the, the Rainer injury to me, not not specifically him that, that's, you know, really important to the team. He's a valuable member of the team for sure. But it got me thinking, they've been very lucky with injuries over the last couple of years. And I don't want to say that luck runs out, but luck runs out. Uh, and, and, you know, you can't kind of bank on, on having a really clean run uh, in the medical room. And... I don't know. Maybe they just might might fall away a bit after they had arguably the best chance they'll ever have, uh, you know, of winning a home grand final at the Gabba, uh, and and they could have done that. So maybe the Lions just just fall out uh, of contention for me a little bit. Jake Wooden Spoon. Gee, uh, it's a it's a coin flip at the moment between the Crows and North. I think most people are going one of those two. I'll probably take Adelaide. Um, really didn't like what I saw from the Crows in the uh, in. Pre-season, um, don't think we need to go into too much detail. I know they played a little bit better in the 
back half of last year, but I still think on the whole they've lost a bit of talent. There's not a lot going on in the forward line at the moment, and I just don't see them winning many games. Christian? Yeah, I'm, I'm with Jacob. I think <clears throat> there's too many variances on people's tip for Wooden Spoon. I think he said it. it's probably Adelaide and North are most people's choice, and I've got I've got Adelaide down there at the moment. How many teams win back-to-back Wooden Spoons, though? I know this is this is throwing uh, throwing you know uh, a spanner in the works, but it's it's not often well, I would have thought. I'm, well, I'm very much like this. Go. I'm very much like this when I look at the top eight, and you sort of try to pick a top eight at the start of the year, and you you, you always look at it and you're like, well, it's going to be the same top eight. It's the best <laughs> top eight teams finished in the top eight last year, but how often does the top eight stay the same? Yeah. So you're probably right. Yeah. Um. Again, the one I'll throw up about Adelaide is that. Again, what you sort of said about Brisbane, they've they've had a long period of not so much dominance, but Adelaide have been playing finals for, you know, the 80% of their history sort of thing. So they're always up there. I think they're just having a little bit of a lull period. So it's not often that a team's um, down the bottom two years in a row, but I think Adelaide's just sort of in that rebuilding phase where they probably do need a couple of years for that team to gel together. So Fair enough. Yeah, well, I've gone north um, just because I, I think new coach, new system, taking time, you know, players in, players out. Uh, it's... You know, I don't think it's a good thing when you sign a cheese sponsor, um, you know, and, and Tasmania Heritage, as nice as their, their brie is, um, I'm, not too, I'm not too sure. <laughs> that's the MCC in me talking. <laughs> uh, I'm not too sure that <laughs> that's indicative of a club that's on the right track. So I've, I've tipped north for my wooden spoon uh, and, and Adelaide not far. What's the sponsor got to do with whether they're going to they're be finished 18th or 17th? I just wanted to mention the fact that North have got Tasmanian Heritage Cheese as a, as a sponsor this year. I mean, what a bizarre choice that is. It's all right. I might go and get a get a wheel of brie later myself. <laughs> Hawthorne, Hawthorne's trying to do with KFC. Yeah, Their food sponsors that, are all the rage. I did see that. That was a little. That was that more strange to me. Did you see some of the ads that they put out there? I saw one with Tom Mitchell and Jaeger Amira, which um, was. Little... Oh yeah, you dropped. It's like <laughs> you, you dropped this week, Jaeger, and he's like, "Someone say KFC." <laughs> anyway, we're, we're not being paid by KFC, so stuff them. Uh, Brownlow winner, Jake. This is your domain. Well, it's really difficult at the start of the year, obviously, but I'm going to go. Normally, I try and pick someone a little bit left field. This year, I'm not. I'm going to go with. Dangerfield. I think the image of last year that probably is ingrained in everyone's mind is the Martin snap over Dangerfield in the in the pocket to sort of seal the game. Um, it was his fourth goal. It was another Norm Smith medal. Dangerfield, just about his worst game you can imagine, like remember that he played. I reckon that was sort of burn in the off season for him. I had the chance to win that win that premiership. Didn't get it done. Played poorly. I reckon now with a little bit more support in the forward line for Tomahawk, I think he'll probably hope he plays a little bit more in the midfield and I think he, he can have a really, really big year. Hold on. We're two episodes in. You're already mentioning Dangerfield and the midfield. So when does Chris Scott get a mention? Next. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, your Brownlow winner. Uh, yes, uh, again, sticking a little bit boring, but I'll go Dustin Martin. Again, just the most dominant player in the competition and uh, hearing... Um, some big things about him in the preseason that he's really sort of, yeah, sort of, um, and even heard him talk himself um, just recently talk about he's really um, embracing being a professional athlete and getting the most out of himself. And it sounds like he's, this preseason he's sort of worked hard. Uh, if, if Dustin Martin's getting better, then you know, how, how is anyone in the competition going to stop him? So, yeah, I'll stick with him at the moment. See, I'm, I'm loath to offer up another alternative to what I have in those predictions, Jake. Um, but, but what I heard, what I've heard out of Richmond in the last few weeks, and having watched that that Amy game against the Pies that he played, he looks fit. 
This isn't I don't the Mar- tell me you're taking Martin no, as well. No, no. See, this isn't the same Dustin Martin that left his car at the G for four months and then, um, you know, went partying at the Maldives with Serena Williams. No, this he left is, it at the Gabba for four months. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is Dustin Martin, who's, as Christian said, I think it's, it's taking it pretty seriously now as he enters the prime to twilight of his career. I think when is he 28? So, you know, he, he's, at, he's at that point now. Well, and it's funny because I don't think he's ever not taken it seriously. But he's no, but he's always never, been a slow starter. But he has been a slow starter. And if you look at his if you look at his raw numbers in home and away matches versus finals, like he's another player in finals. And if he played with that same intensity or will to win as he does when it really matters, I mean, he'd just about get three points every time he walked off the park. See, so that's what I'm thinking. So yeah. I initially had Jack Steele because I think he's a, a standout midfielder in a in a team of not 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 offense to St Kilda's midfield of vanilla midfielders. I think Steele stands out, and I think the Saints will have a good year. Um, so he might be he might he might be on the podium, and, and Dusty might just pick yeah. him. I'm just uh, looking at uh, I'm just looking at your predictions now. You've, you've got <laughs> Jack Steele there, so. We're going to lock you in with Steel. You're not taking that. He's, he's taken. <laughs> he's taken. Right, uh, Coleman medal winner, uh, Jake. Well, my Coleman medal winner is, uh, you know, this is a funny one too, I noticed, because we did our – I was collating all our predictions that we got from all our AFL um, writers and columnists, and not one person picked Tom Hawkins, who romped in last year, which I thought was a little bit strange. Is it, um, is it strange, though, considering he's now got – you know, a, a, another Coleman medal winner next to him in that forward line. Yeah, but I think a lot of key, a lot of key forwards in the comp have a, another, you know, another solid key forward alongside them. I'm going Jeremy Cameron. I, I'm I'm putting all my eggs in the cats cats basket here with Geelong for the flag, Dangerfield Brownlow, and Jeremy Cameron um, for the Coleman medal. I think he's. I think he had a really down year last year. Don't forget, you know, think back the year before. We are talking about him kicking 100 goals in a season. This guy can do anything. And if he's getting the supply, I think he I think he pretty much had checked out at the Giants last year. Right that year off, I reckon he comes back fresh. Um, and we all know how Tom Hawkins loves dishing them off. I reckon he might get a few off, <laughs> off the big Tomahawk. I reckon he's going to kick kick a bag this year, uh, Jezza. He might benefit from the... Um... The assist, the assist kings that they like there at, uh, at Geelong. Uh, Christian, <laughs> he does. Christian, who have you got? Uh, another Tom, but I've gone Tom Lynch uh, from yeah. Richmond. I think this will be. I don't think he's had a hundred percent full crack at um, being hundred percent fit in his time at Richmond. Um, so again, with the um, <clears throat> new man on the mark rule and attacking ball movement, hopefully Richmond are going to get it into their, you know an, an emptier forward line for, with a lot more room for Tom Lynch. I think um, Jack Rewalt's probably become more of a um, an assist player, and I think you know he might be the number one scorer assist player, but I think Tom Lynch is going to be their spearhead for the season. Yeah, good points. I think you're right about um, Rewalt, who seems to embrace have embraced that second forward. He's, role. he's always been he's always been very very good at bringing mm. teammates in. Um, I think it was definitely overlooked in his Coleman winning years of how well he actually did set up scores as well as kicking him. But yeah. um, you're right now he's probably doing him twice as much as he used to. Uh, I'm backing. I'm all on the Joe Danaher hype train. I think um, if if he can regain his fitness to a level where his 2017 when he kicked 67 goals or whatever was kicking him from everywhere kicking him from 55 straight in front from kicking him from 50 out on the you know out on the boundary line he was irresistible that that season and i just get the feeling that um if brisbane's medical team and i know i talked about him before as you know luck can't run forever but if if they've got him right and he feels confident in his body i wouldn't be surprised if he can um if he can win the win the Coleman medal 
Well, if he plays close to the full season, he you'd think he goes close because he's going to have a lot of opportunities playing in that forward line. The amount of ball that goes inside there, yeah. I feel he's going to have a lot of chances to score. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, I think we... I think we were pretty unanimous on the rising star, Jake. You kind of said <laughs> before, um, or in our pre-pod meeting at the very least, that we're all pretty unanimous on a rising star. And it's someone who uh, wasn't drafted at last, uh, sorry, last year's draft. He was drafted in 2019, um, but missed a lot of games. Who are we talking about? Uh, I think we're obviously talking about Mr. Matt Rowell. Um, yes. He was the of all the of all these predictions, it was the only unanimous selection from everyone. And how many I, people were in that prediction? Uh, we had eight. eight. So eight. everyone's picked Matt Rowell. No one's considered anybody else. And I think you know that's it's fair enough. You know, some some people have even got him to win the Brownlow or to come close in the Brownlow medal. So it's worth um, it's worth having a look at this piece with with all the predictions. But I don't think you can argue it. I think Matt Rowe clearly is mm. the man to beat for for the Rising Star Award. And again, it wasn't you know a soft tissue injury or something like uh, osteitis pubis or anything like that. It was a it was a freak uh, shoulder injury basically. So in terms of his his just his general fitness, he, he should be fit and firing and ready to go. And if he plays. You know, even maybe 15 games this year, I think he's going to be pretty hard to beat for the Rising Star. Well, I because... made a case for him to win it last year, having only played. <laughs> having only played. I said he was still clearly the best player. He polled more Brownlow votes than any other rise, any any other first year player. I still think he probably should have won it last year, but that's unfortunately that's not how it goes. But I think, yeah, does he? If he can do anything like what he did last season, he's it's not even going to be a contest. Yeah, I think, um, and and Gold Coast Suns will be better for him as well, uh, having having him fit and firing because he did play he played that coach role last year um, yeah. and was quite good, I suppose, about that. And he seems like a consummate professional. Christian, you must be thinking the same thing about Raul, just uh, un, unback, unbackable favourite for the Rising oh, Star, almost. It's, yeah, are they even opening a market for it? It just uh, <laughs> wouldn't make sense. So. Um, I was going to throw up. Who are we, who are we predicting for the runner-up of the Rising yeah. Star? I want to hear. It's <laughs> a good point. You can almost it almost doesn't matter because I think that the margin between first and then second and third is just going to be going to be so far that it, it's you know who knows. That's the mm. thing. Well, I, I did list one name. I think from what I saw from Logan McDonald, I had big raps of him as a kid. Mm. Um, and just what he did for Sydney, I know it's only one preseason game, but he, he just looks ready. Reminds me of Jesse Hogan in terms of, I, I feel the big key forwards, if they do well in their career, they yes. they do get the votes. Um, Jesse so Hogan again, style, yeah. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be locking uh, Logan McDonald in for a top three finish at least, I would have thought. He looked oh, impressive. I reckon I'll take Tom Green. I, I think he's been impressive in the midfield. He, he looks like he's got a pretty – he looks ready-made. Um, he looks strong mm. enough. Um he, he almost looks Rowell, Rowell-ish, um, Walsh-ish, the way he can pick up the ball and use his body. I, I like the look of him. I think he's going to be a really solid midfield for quite a while. So I'll take mm. him. Yeah, no, McDonald's a really good nomination because I think he'll get minutes early. He'll get he'll like for all indications are out of, all indications are out of Sydney that he will play and play um, early in this season, if not round one. So, um, and and he and he looks strong. He's strong overhead. Um, probably needs to fill out a little bit more. But but as you say, key forwards who can come on early are actually pretty well respected and voted for in the Rising Star. So yeah, and he's yeah. he's far from a one dimensional key forward. You know, he doesn't. He's not like you know. I hate to bring these guys up, but Patton and Tom Boyd, who were high pick key forwards that had big bodies that were really mm. good one on one. Logan McDonald's come in. He's got the athleticism, ground level, ball sense, you know, overhead stuff. So yeah, I think he'll he'll fit in quite nicely from day one. Uh, the biggest surprise packet. Which team uh, will surprise us the most, Jake? Uh, either a riser or a slider. Take your pick. 
Um, I'm going to say the Swans. I think the Swans will be much better than they were last year. I don't think they were anywhere near as bad as what their ladder position last year reflected and their, their win tally. I think they were in a lot of games that they probably could have won. Um, they, they showed great improvement throughout the back end of the season. And that was just, as we were talking, they got a lot of young key position players that are really exciting. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see them. I think they're going to make the eight. But I certainly think they're going to be, have a much better year than they did last year. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. Um, and I think last year there was a clear divide between the bottom two sides. Uh, and, and then there was a, a there was a step up in terms of the level, and then there were probably three or four sides, and then another step up, and then so on and so forth. And we all know how close the ladder is. It you know the last four or five years it's been super close. You, yeah. you get you, you manage to pin two of those tight wins, and it's the difference between finishing fifteenth or finishing eleventh. You know mm. it can be really close. So yeah, I think they're going to have a better year this year. And as I said, bringing spring in, so they've still got the they still got the older guys that are the quality. Um, Buddy, we don't know what's going to happen with him. I almost think if he plays, it's a bonus, but almost got to assume he's not going to really play that much. Um, but yeah, the young, the young key position players, really exciting. Yeah, Christian, your thoughts? Um, well, mine might be part of my bold call, so I'll, I'll leave that one in my back pocket for a little bit because I have changed my bold call from what's on the side as well. But um, again, probably I don't know if it'll be a surprise one. GWS again, runners up in. Uh, 2019 um, made finals last year. I think I might miss the, miss the eight this year with a bit of the um, bit of the player exodus that they've had. Um, I don't know if that'll surprise anyone. I don't know how far they'll slide, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think they'll be again probably outside the top ten. Which again, comparing it to making grand final two years ago, is a fairly big drop off. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, my biggest surprise is going to be the Gold Coast Suns, who I think are going to have a more consistent year. I, I just I get the feeling that everyone has been talking about it for, for the past three, four seasons about how, yep, they can come out pretty strong out of the blocks early in years uh, and then they just they run out of legs. But but this is a group that has added some more mature talent. Um, the kids that they have drafted over the past three or four years are now maturing into their bodies. They do have workhorses like Matt Rowell who are fit and, and ready to, to, to run out seasons. Um, and I think that that'll be a bit of a sticking point for them in the off season. Like they're, they're not there to make up the numbers. They they really want to make finals for the first time in their um, for the first time in their existence. So I'm backing them to be a pretty big riser um, to be knocking on the door of the finals with with one maybe even two rounds remaining. And and geez, they might even get in there. Like it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, coach under the most pressure, Christian. Uh, probably Simon Goodwin at this mm. stage. Um, Again, I'm I'm not big on following the news of coaches' contracts, who's in contract, who's re-signed, and so I'm not a, you know not across and who's signed and who's got a contract for next year. But uh, again, just just looking at Melbourne, um, where they were at two or three years ago, and the list that they have, they haven't lost much from where you know a team that made the prelim. So I think he needs to get the best out of them again. Jake, yeah, I probably would have said Leon Cameron before the you know the series of players that left, but I definitely Christian. I think. The expectations now on the Giants have sort of fallen away a little bit and therefore get cut a little bit slack. But I think Goodwin, there's no excuses because, as you say, the, it's, it, the team is not that much different to a couple of years ago when we are talking about they could be they're almost premature on yeah. the side. So another another disappointing year, another year without finals, and you almost got to be asking the question. Like, you got to take – someone's got to take advantage of talent on the list at some point. Fair enough. Uh, look – 
I think Goodwin is probably the obvious one. There, there are a couple of names that I will throw up, and one of them you mentioned, Jake. I think Leon Cameron, yeah, he re-signed last year, but I don't think that the club was overly uh, – well, obviously, they didn't want to give him a longer-term deal. Let's just put it that way. And the payout, if he does get sacked, I don't think he's going to be as big as what it could be. So I think he's very much on notice because, yeah, sure, they lost Jeremy Cameron, but they've still got a lot of good players, a lot of talent on that list. Um, and, and frankly, I, I thought – they finished last year, 12th. Um, geez, pretty stiff considering that the people had, they had on the park and um, they, they really should have been a bit higher than that. Uh, and, and given they were, you know, grand finalists in 2019, they should be coming back up kind of like the Melbourne debate. Like you, you can't sort of go from here, here up, up the top to then down the bottom. And then, you know, you got, you got to, they've got to rebound is what I'm saying. And the thing is, if you said right now, one of those, one of Melbourne or the Giants will, will play finals this year, who would you say it would be? You'd probably uh, think Melbourne. Well, yeah, pro- probably Melbourne. But again, like, I can't this is... see the Giants. I cannot see the Giants playing finals this year at all. At all? No. Okay. I don't see it. Yeah. I'd be stunned if they make the eight. I-, I think they'll be both thereabouts. I think there's a there's a band of about sort of five fish teams, five six teams in the middle that are sort of fighting for the, the last two spots in the eight, and that's Melbourne, GWS, Carlton, Fremantle, Gold Coast, and um, maybe that's it. Maybe just five. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Leon Cameron, he's got a lot to prove before if he wants to, to continue uh, being at the helm of the Giants. Uh, bold calls. Christian, you teased yours before, so I'm keen <laughs> to hear it. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's probably good on the back of the coach that's under fire. I think Melbourne will finish top five this year. Um, again, just... Big call. Uh, I like it. Just um, reading the team leads again, take, take the stats hat off and don't worry about the numbers. You look at where Geelong were at, 06, 07, with Bomber Thompson. He'd had a... Um, three or four years with a, you know, a young growing list and the calls came and, you know, big reviews happened and look where Geelong got their sort of, you know, club to within the next three or four years. It sort of happened similar with Richmond. Um, I think they had to make some big calls and sort of had um, a couple of years of near misses and, you know, they made finals and lost week one. I just feel like Melbourne have had a similar sort of build up to this year that we know the talent they got with the, the point I, you know, raised five minutes ago about there's not much difference to their prelim team. I had a quick look and I think you take, you can almost take Bernie Vince and Jeff Garland out of their 2019 best 22 um, and replace them probably with Stephen May and Ben Brown, uh, Australian key defender and Australian key forward almost. So again, yeah, I'll put the, I'll put the big call on them, but I just think that now's their time. If they're going to shut us up, they're going to shut us up in a big way. And I think they're not just going to limp into eighth and everyone go, Oh, that's good. You made finals. I think it's a, it's a boom or bust year for Melbourne. They're either going to be really, really good top four or it's just going to be disastrous and, um, you know, bottom four sort of thing. But I'll, yeah, stick my neck out and unfortunately Neil's not here to hear it. But, yeah, (laughs) Melbourne will be a top four, top five team by the end of the year. I'm sure you'll get a message from him uh, telling telling you that there's no chance. He's the most (laughs) uh, down D supporter, I think. Well, I think a few of them are, to be fair. Um, But, yes, fair enough. I think that's our social uh, hook for the the week, Jake. Uh, The team tip to do a Geelong 2006 kind of thing. I like it. I like it. Your big call for the year. I feel like I've got a few. Uh, I'm going to go with two of them here. So the first one is... um, TikTok, come on. Call me (laughs) negative, but i got a feeling where the league's going to be shut down again. I think we're going to have another shutdown. At some point, we will stop playing football in 2020. 21. So beyond even hubs, you think it'll it'll stop at some point? I think we will get to a point where we have to we'll have to halt the season again. That's what I think. Um, but my let my my more 
Uh, Moderate call. Yeah. Um, Andrew Brayshaw really liked his year last year. I think he's developing and growing really, really well at the Dockers. Playing really good football, like seriously good. And I'm, probably a lot of our listeners might not watch the Dockers too much, but they've got, they got some really solid young talent on that list. I really rate him. I enjoyed watching him last year, and I think he's going to take another big step this year. I've got him to make the All-Australian team, which is a big call, um, particularly when, you know, you look at some of his teammates, Captain Nat Fife, you think just about a lot to make that team every year. But um, I, I certainly think he can. He just needs to do one thing, and that's find a way to hit the scoreboard a bit more because he didn't kick a, he didn't kick a single goal last year. He was brilliant yeah. in the midfield, but he just doesn't, doesn't contribute on the scoreboard. If he can do that, he's going to be spoken about in the top tier, I reckon. I'm really excited to watch Frio this year. I think uh, they showed some really, really positive signs last year. Um, and I think we, we had our first power rankings go out last week, Jake, and, and I was quite bullish on them. And I'm just, I just, I'd want to watch them. They're almost appointment viewing for me at this point because um, it seems like Fife's going to play a bit of time forward, which means that these young midfielders like your, your Brace or Chera, um, you know, these sort of guys are going to play more time in the midfield and, and be given the flexibility and the freedom to find their own footy. Um, which is something that in, in previous years they might have, you know, Fife's been there at the coalface with them. So I'm really excited to see how they go. So it's not a bad call, Brayshaw for All-Australian. Um, my big call, uh, potentially a bit of a knee-jerk, because we, we did write this uh, last week, I think, Jake, but the one that I listed in, in our piece was I think the AFL is going to cut the, the quarter time back next year. Uh, I don't think they'll do it mid-season because that's that's just not going to happen. Uh, but I think that 20-minute quarters are going to be a thing of the past come 2022 because we've seen that the goal, the time between a goal and the bounce again uh, is too long. Quarters went for 35 up to 36 minutes uh, during the Amy Community Series. And I just think that that's unsustainable in this era of sort of how people consume sport and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So they're going to look for a way to make sure that quarters are consistently no more than about 30 minutes each. Um, and I think that 20-minute quarters plus time on is going to be a thing of the past in 2022. Mm. Is that a big like enough not. call? It's a big call, isn't it? Big enough, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, let's move on. I think that's uh, that's it for our predictions. So if you've uh, if you've stayed with us throughout that, there you are. There are your big bets for the year. If you want a, a wooden spoon or a Brownlow medalist or a common medalist, uh, thank us later. Um, let's move on. The reigning premiers, Richmond, they've, uh, they've been bloody good and teams have struggled to beat them. Uh, and, and Carlton have them first up in, in round one on Thursday night. So we thought we'd sort of segue into it. How does a team, not necessarily Carlton, how does any team beat Richmond this year? Christian, we kind of tasked you with looking at the stats and trying to find if there's any chink in the armour of, uh, of the Tigers. What did you find? Yeah, so I basically can probably sum it up by saying the way to beat Richmond is that you got to take your opportunities, which is probably, you know, luck. seen as a cliche word or, yeah, you can put it down to luck. And, you know, it's it's easy to say how you're going to do or, you know, what you want to do, but how you're going to do it is probably, you know, is what the coaches have to come up with. But you look at Richmond again, I've taken their numbers from the last two years. So, you know, looking at the, um, the time where they won back to back in that time, they averaged 16 fewer disposals per game than their opposition, 14th, um, 11 fewer uncontested possessions per game, five and a half fewer contested possessions per game, four fewer clearances per game, 16th. So they're 14th or 13th to 16th in each of those four stats. So they give the opposition the ball. They're not Geelong or Hawthorne of, you know, back in their dynasties where they were just ball hogs. They always had the ball. Um, you know, what they say, possessions is nine-tenth of the law. <clears throat> Richmond sort of don't play that way. So 
they, they give you an opportunity. You have the ball against Richmond. You, you have it often, more often than not, more times than them. Um, so looking at, you know, again, in terms of, you know, looking at their ball hogginess or whatever, in the 46 games they've played in the last years, there's only been 14 times where they've had 10 or more disposals than the opposition. So they're not trying to blow you away, you know, with ball in hand. So, again, it all comes back to if you're going to have the ball against Richmond, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have the opportunity to at least have the same amount of inside 50s. Um, it's about being able to break it through. And, and quite often, again, Richmond are not, um, you know, they've got the second best differential for inside 50s, but they've had a fair few games where they've conceded 45, 50 inside 50s, which is, you know, up there with sort of the, the lower ranked teams. But what they do is they hold their defence really, really well. So they yep. just, you know, they, they conceded a score, I think, in the last two years from just under 40% of entries, which is, you know, ranked in the top three. So what I've looked at is the teams that have beaten them, again, it's a ongoing um, discussion in the stats field, causation versus correlation, but the teams that have beaten them have taken their opportunities once inside 50. So basically um, two ways to look at that. So if you score, and again, it doesn't seem like much, but if you're under 45% um, for scoring per inside 50, Richmond are most likely going to beat you. If you can get that number up to over 45%, so that's, you know, scoring from more than four and a half out of 10 inside 50s, you're a chance to beat Richmond. I think you go up to about a 70% chance of beating them across the last two years. Which is looking a fair at, chunk. That's yeah, 70%. and looking at, yeah, looking at one step forward that sort of, you know, <clears throat> translates better on the scoreboard is just looking at your accuracy. So shot at goal accuracy, including times where you've missed complete shots at goal. Again, it's all about taking your opportunities against Richmond. So the teams in the past two years that have scored 50% or better in a match against Richmond and nine and 10. So nine wins and 10 losses. If you score, you know, at least half of your shots at goal end up being a goal. If you don't score at 50% against Richmond in that time, the record is two wins, one draw, 24 losses. So again, it just comes back to take your opportunities. And again, it goes back to that first point. Richmond don't hog the ball. You are mm -hmm. going to get the ball in your hand against Richmond. You're going to have time to get a feel for it and move it around. Um, but, yeah, it, and you're going to be able to get it inside 50, but it's being able to break down that that defence and being able to take your opportunities um, when it happens. So, again, you'd be looking at, uh, you know, talking around one, Carlton. Um, again, a good indicator might be if they're, they're even at inside 50s at half time and, uh, you know, are scoring at quite accuracy rate, you'd say they're still in it. But, you know, if Carlton missed their first three or four shots at goal and they all end up out in the full or behind, you just think, well, they're going to get in their own heads here. And that's how Richmond seem to beat you. They make... They, they give you the ball, but teams sort of go conservative or just don't seem to take their chances against mm. Richmond. So um, I think, yeah, I think that's the main part of the game. But how how you can instruct your team to take more chances, I, you know, that's that's the job of the coaches. The game that really sticks in my mind from and and is highlighted by what you just said is the the, the final they played, I think it was a qualifying final against Brisbane a couple of years ago at the Gabba where Brisbane absolutely dominated in the first quarter and a half. Uh, couldn't put anything on the scoreboard and Richmond just... Day that they they hung in there, and then they kicked away, and they ended up winning it super comfortably. And it just does sort of show that they you do get your chances, and it's not often that a dominant in any sport that the most dominant team will give you as much of the ball, if not more than they have. It's unusual in any sport for that to happen. But um, on the flip side, that means that the Tigers, when they go forward, they must be just about the most efficient side in the comp. Yes, and and you can sort of see that from watching them. If they if they get the ball, especially from a turnover, um, so I sort of know that you, looking at the new rules again, um, and whether that's going to benefit Richmond, it's it's definitely going to benefit them offensively because they do they score so well from a turnover. So sixty six percent of their score in the last two years have come from uh, intercept possessions. Um, 
there's only one other team over 60% and that's Hawthorne in that time. So a lot of teams sort of have a, you know, a 59, 41% split of scoring from your, your intercepts versus your clearances. Richmond do all of their work in from their intercepts in general play, but only 29% of their points come from clearances. So again, they're not big on uh, high congested games. So, so far in, you know, in the preseason, we saw from this new rule, there was a lot less, a lot fewer stoppages per game um, and a lot more turnover. So the ball's pinging around and bouncing around, that's just going to suit Richmond probably offensively because they score so well from a turnover. But it's up to the opposition now to sort of say, well, they're going to go, you know, health and skeletal when they get the ball offensively. We've got to get valuable turnovers against them and go with just as fast against them, you know, don't don't let them get back. So it'd be interesting to see a more open game style. As I said, it, mm. it, can, hurt, it can help Richmond definitely offensively, um, but it could expose them slightly uh, defensively. Mm. Well, you stole my question, which was, will these sort of new rules benefit them or hinder them? Because you can kind of look at it both ways in that, um, you know, opening up the middle of the ground, if that is something that, that teams are going to be trying to do, uh, that that sort of plays into their sort of wave tsunami of just sort of, you know, handball forward and get it, get it forward at any cost. But, um, yeah, turnovers. I mean, that's the risk going the other way. So it's an interesting year because Richmond, are, they are the hunted. Um, and, well, they have been for, for many years now, but... Um, you know, maybe the new rules give uh, the opportunity for a coaching staff at another club to say, hey, we can set the tone here and come up with something new. So be interesting to see how they respond, the Tigers, to these new rules, Jake. It will. And we only have to wait a couple of couple more nights to get excited. <laughs> um, speaking of the new rules, uh, we were at the captain's day, Jake, as you sort of said earlier. Uh, they had some thoughts because you were asking them about the new rules and what, what they sort of thought. So any big takeaways from uh, from the Capitans? Well, we'll have a video coming out later this week that kind of has all the opinions of all the captains on the on the new rules. But I think it's a it was a really mixed reaction. Um, it wasn't. It didn't seem to be something that they'd been told uh, beforehand what to say about it, like we were saying about the coronavirus. But I think the general feeling is, regardless of how players think or what's going to happen uh, down the track. I think everyone's like, we need to wait a little bit. We need to see a bit of, of the sample size to work out what's going to happen. Mm. It's too early to assume that the game's going to open up or the coaches will shut it down. I think most players are pretty open to the idea of rule changes. I don't think there were too many that were like, I don't like it. Mm. Um, but knowing how it's going to impact the game is something that we probably aren't going to know. And we're probably not going to know after one or two rounds. It's probably going to take like a... a, a quite a few weeks of football to see what's happening. And by that stage, then we'll start seeing coaches adjusting um, and trying to probably trying to shut it down a little bit more again. Even the, the interchange cap, I think there, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of concern from, from the captains and, and maybe um, uh, someone like Max Gorn, I remember he said that, um, you know, he means maybe one extra rotation a game less for him. Because, um, you know, when you when you spread it over the quarters and spread it over the 22 players on the list, you know, 90 to 75, is, it's not a massive leap. Uh, it, it's 15 fewer. So one person might be getting one less. Um, yeah. And uh, I think so, what it probably leads to is players resting forward and that sort of stuff yeah. more so than coming off. For, so you might get more of the Bond forward or Crips forward or Fife forward or these yeah. sorts of midfielders that can, you know, command a presence up forward. So, yeah, even even in, in terms of the interchange cap, there was a bit of sort of, not ambivalence, but there's just sort of like, well, it is what it is. We'll, we'll adjust and, and go on. So, And players don't like coming off. I said it last year. I remember there was a game I was watching, a Pies game, and Trelaw came off and he, he had a sip of water, turned around, and he was telling some of his teammates to come off so he could get back on. And it's like, 
they want to be out there. So I don't think they're going to be too disappointed that they um, that the the cap's been reduced. Yeah, fair enough. All right, we've got to whiz through this next one. Uh, we talked about him earlier, so we will touch on this. Well, we, you've got a piece coming out uh, later this week, Jake. Uh, do I? On Matt Rowell. Oh, yes, Matt Rowell. Yeah, we did talk about him. Um, yes. I do. Uh, so it's an interesting thing, Matt Rowell. Um, I was I was kind of thinking about him in the off-season and I thought... <laughs> I think a lot, of play, a lot of footy fans were thinking about Matt we were, Rowell. I was just, yeah, just thinking about his first few games and how great it was. But honestly, <laughs> has there ever been a player, and this is a genuine question, has there ever been a player that has had so much expectation on them and so much pressure after 20 quarters of football? I don't think there has been. Um, and certainly not, to... not in the era of social media where we can constantly scrutinise and everyone can put their opinion out there. I, I, don't, I think he's almost the most hyped player of the era of social media. Yeah, because we talk, we've talked about Judd before and, and how he, he went over to West Coast and there was a sellout crowd for his East Perth game, uh, the, the first one that he played, and then he never played for East Perth ever again. So anyone who got a Judd East Perth jumpers in strife because they, it's either a, a very rare collectible or well, yeah. it's completely useless. Yeah, sign it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, but, like, that pre-social media, I think that's a really important point, Jake. And 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 even, even Christian, you said in the pre-pod meeting, Tom Scully, there wasn't quite the, the, the grip that, that the 24-hour news cycle had. And I'm not really old enough to remember the hype around Nathan Buckley and his move and then sub moved back down but apparently that was quite there's a lot of you know disappointment from from brisbane because he was he's supposed to be one of the one of the greatest players of the ge- the generation and he did end up being there so mm-hmm. I, I don't I think know the other thing with Rao, which intrigues me is that it's rare that a number one draft pick gets picked comes into the system plays a couple of games and we almost normally we have to adjust our expectation and think okay he was a number one pick he's going to be good but we need to give him a little bit of time. We've adjusted with Matt Rowell, but the opposite way. I, I can't think of another one, another number one draft pick where we've thought, hang on a minute, this guy came in, he's the number one pick, we know he's going to be good. He might even be better than we all thought he was going to be. Who, who else do we do that with that's gone number one? Yeah, we do it with pick 26, but we don't do it with pick number one. And that, to me, shows how, just how good he is. And, and speaking to – it was another one we spoke to the captains about. And every single captain – said he can be the player that we expect him to be. He can live up to the hype. But it's important to enjoy playing football. It's important not to get caught up in, in the media, you know, storm, everything everything that's been spoken about you. Um, because there are going to be – there's so much that is spoken about him. And mm. I, I don't think there's a player in the sport at the moment, uh, certainly not at that age and experience level, that has so much hype and expectation around. The, the... – the one thing I, I keep thinking of is, um, again, a forgotten name, but how good Sam Walsh was one year earlier. And he had just stepped into Carlton's midfield. And it was the same sort of thing. It was like this, what Sam Walsh did as an 18-year-old stepping in and becoming clearly the number two option in the midfield um, and playing every single game. But then we just, you know, within 12 months, we're like, we've never seen a bloke like Matt Rowell before. Everyone's just forgotten about 12 <laughs> months earlier. We're also saying that, we, we, yeah, we weren't, we weren't as big on Walsh, but everyone was saying the same thing about Walsh. He's, um, just how ready they are and they come in as a kid. So maybe this goes back to, again, um, the pathways and the, the development of players, you know. Um, Matt Rao probably has been, you know, acting like a professional since he was 12, 13 years old for all we know. And just he was just ready and primed to step in. So rather than just, just getting picked of a state seat team, you know, probably Chris Judd might have been 
you know, a bit earlier than this, but a lot of them just start playing rep footy for state leagues at 16. Um, there is no under-17 champs. You might play an under-18 champs and, mm. you know, AIS squad and things like that. I think now we're seeing 14, 15, 16 state league championships. They're going through elite pathways. And, yeah, the last two number one picks, Sam Walsh and Matt Rowell, have just been so AFL-ready from day mm. one. It's not funny. So yeah. I think the last two years we're sort of seeing it, yeah. Is Matt Rowell the best player on Gold Coast, Gold Coast list right now? I think so. Yeah. I, and, I would, and, yeah. Yeah. and no disrespect and, and to, probably, to the other Suns, but he's he's just he's good. <laughs> and, and that's not a sh- no, that's not no. a shot at the Suns. But again, this it feels almost like when LeBron James got got drafted. You know, it, it's that big that all of a sudden you're the best player on your team. If you haven't played a game, you're the best player on your team. And you have that expectation. I'm not comparing him to LeBron James. I'm just mm. saying it. It feels like that because not not. Sam Walsh, not anybody. No one has come into their AFL club and just been the best player on their team. Yeah. If, if you compared him to, if you had two players, you said you can, uh, you got a full full compliment for your your team choice this week, but you're not playing one of Tuke Miller or uh, Matt Rowell. You're taking Matt Rowell on the team. One of Lacocious or Rowell. You're taking Rowell. You do that to any player, and, and I think Rowell comes up trump. So maybe he is. I'm just glad he's at the Gold Coast and, and not at um, Gold Coast. At, no, at, he's <laughs> he's on the Gold Coast. Sorry, I'm glad he's on the Gold Coast. Is he not in Victoria and not at a Victorian club? Because Why? could you imagine? Could you imagine the height? Anyway, we've got to move on. We're, we're going over time here. Um, Jake, you got a piece coming out uh, today, I believe. Um, on him. Tomorrow. It's coming tomorrow, yes. Tomorrow. So uh, espn.com.au slash AFL. Uh, keep an eye on that. There's captain's letters to Matt Rowell. They're very, very good. Uh, some big news. Uh, Josh Dunkley uh, of Western Bulldogs fame, he has signed on with ESPN Stables, Jake, and he's got some stuff uh, coming out with us. He might join us on the podcast throughout the year for a, a few episodes, and he'll be writing a few columns, including one coming out soon as well. Yeah, I think we're all really excited to have Josh on board, um, great young player, premiership player with the Dogs, and got some really interesting stories to tell, and he's yeah. super keen to tell them. Um, uh, and I think we're all, as footy fans, we're all eager to hear these player perspectives on things, and it just scares, you know, if we write it, eh, like we're, we're, not, we're not professionals, so no one cares. When it comes from an actual player, it carries a little bit more weight, and they're really interesting, and having a chat with him uh, before the podcast today was was great and he's super keen to, to write something this week for us on um on how we went got to the came up with the decision last year to request the trade for the bombers and it all fell through um and then all the discussions that had to take place at the club speaking to bevo the playing group and how that was and how that was of last year and then as a result coming back and, and moving forward so really fascinating just having a, an initial chat with him today and we're going to have that Friday ahead of the Bulldogs' first game against the Pies. So we'll keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, it'll be a fascinating uh, read, that one, especially because uh, we don't know a lot about what happens when players' trade requests fall through. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, espn.com.au slash AFL. Uh, and he will be is... joining us on the podcast as well, as you say, throughout the year. We'll, we'll have him on a few times. So Yeah, we'll, uh, maybe, maybe we'll pick up after, after a win instead of a loss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. All right, we're, we're rapidly running out of time. I do apologise, everyone. We're probably going a little bit over, but... Uh, don't forget your tips. Seriously, a couple of days left or, you know, tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening. But don't forget your tips because if you start behind the eight ball, uh, you're going to struggle. And I think the away tip, you get the away tip if you forget it. And Carlton's the away team on uh, Thursday night. Ooh, so yeah, that's a bit that. dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, really quickly, guys, an upset and a certainty this week. Really quick. <laughs> Jake. 
Uh, ups, uh, certainly, Geelong's going to beat the Crows easily. Um, and upset, I'll go, I think, Frio. I was surprised to see Frio so um, so much of an outsider against the Demons. Mm. Christian? Yeah, Jake stole mine, so that makes it very quick, doesn't it? Certainly, uh, Geelong, um, upset yep. Frio. Fair enough. Uh, certainly, Richmond, they're just uh, too good and they'll keep rolling. Uh, and my upset is going to be the Suns. We've been talking about them a bit today. To beat the Eagles over there, we do know Ooh. how the Suns start the year quickly. Uh, guys, thanks for, for joining me. It's been a bumper episode ahead of round one. We'll have you all next week. Uh, we'll have Josh Dunkley on throughout the year. Ron Connolly is also going to join us. So plenty to come from the ESPN footy pod. Uh, and we will speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN footy pod, wherever you get your podcasts.